today. Where is she? She, well, we were just unable to get together on a time. You know, sometimes it happens. She's got a busy schedule. You've got a busy schedule. Do I really? I don't really. She's got a busy schedule. So sometimes it's... Oh, well, I see what you mean. So sometimes it's hard for us to coordinate. So, Chris, you are here to fill in, and I appreciate it. Oh, I love doing this. Really? Yes. All right. Today we're going to be lear- we're going to be covering three books of the Bible: Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Okay, but first we're going to uh, recap Second Kings, what we did last time. So Second Kings chapters twenty one through twenty three, the parallel Second Chronicles thirty three through thirty five, and Jeremiah one through six. Now, uh, just to recap, King Manasseh of Judah did evil in the Lord's sight. He had rebuilt pagan shrines and even sacrificed his own son in fire. He eventually humbled himself before the Lord, removed foreign idols from the Lord's temple, rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, etc. And King Josiah of Judah reigned obediently to the Lord. Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet to Judah. And the book of the law was found in the temple. During this time, King Josiah pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all his heart and soul. Okay, before we get into it, there was a paragraph before scripture. And it said, Nahum's ministry occurred sometime before the fall of Assyria in 612 BC. He prophesied about the coming destruction of Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, The news of its coming destruction was a relief for Judah, who was subject to Assyrian domination. No longer would Judah be forced to pay tribute as insurance against invasion. Judah was comforted to know that God was still in control. Nineveh is an example that God is sovereign over even those who are seemingly invincible. We can be confident that God's power and justice will one day conquer all evil. Moving into Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, and this section is titled, The Lord's Anger Against Nineveh. In the notes, we'll start with that. It said, Nahum, like Jonah, was a prophet to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and he prophesied between 663 and 612 BC. Jonah had seen Nineveh repent a century earlier, but the city had fallen back into wickedness. Assyria, the world power controlling the Fertile Crescent, seemed unstoppable. Its ruthless and savage warriors had already conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, and were causing great suffering in Judah. So Nahum proclaimed God's anger against Assyria's evil. Within a few decades, the mighty Assyrian Empire would be toppled by Babylon. So that just kind of gives us some insight as to what was going on in the world at that time. Hmm. Now, could you please read chapter 1, verse 2? The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. Thank you. Now, the note for that says God alone has the right to be jealous and to carry out vengeance. Jealousy and vengeance may be surprising terms to associate with God. When humans are jealous and take vengeance, they are usually acting in a spirit of selfishness. But it is appropriate for God to insist on our complete allegiance, and it is just for him to punish unrepentant evildoers. His jealousy and vengeance are unmixed with selfishness, 
Their purpose is to remove sin and restore peace to the world. Okay. Now, could you read verse 3, please? The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. And then the note for that verse says, God is slow to get angry, but when he is ready to punish, even the earth trembles. Often people avoid God because they see evildoers in the world and hypocrites in the church. They don't realize that because God is slow to anger, he gives his true followers time to share his love and truth with evildoers. But judgment will come. God will not allow sin to go unchecked forever. When people wonder why God doesn't punish evil immediately, help them remember that if he did, none of us would be here. We can all be thankful that God gives people time to turn to him. And then the final note that we pulled out for that section says, The good news for Judah, whom Assyria afflicted, was that its conquerors and tormentors would be destroyed and would never rise to torment it again. Nineveh was so completely wiped out that its ruins were not identified until 1845. Like 150 years ago, 1845? Yes. Could you imagine that? Wow. No. Did you have any questions or comments for that section? Um, no. Okay. No. Chapter 2, I think. That's right. Verses 1 through 13, the fall of Nineveh. And if you could please read verse... Uh, chapter 2, verse 13. I am your enemy, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Your chariots will soon go up in smoke. Your young men will be killed in battle. Never again will you plunder conquered nations. The voices of your proud messengers will be heard no more. The note for that said God had given the people of Nineveh a chance to repent, which they did after hearing Jonah. But they had returned to their sin, and its consequences were destroying them. There is a point for people, cities, and nations after which there is no turning back. Assyria had passed that point. We must warn others to repent while there is still time. Okay, so on to Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, the Lord's judgment against Nineveh. And I just have a note for that section. It said Nineveh had used its beauty, prestige, and power to seduce other nations. Like a harlot, she had enticed them into false friendships. Then when the other nations relaxed, thinking Assyria was a friend, Assyria destroyed and plundered them. Beautiful and impressive on the outside, Nineveh was vicious and deceitful on the inside. Beneath attractive facades sometimes lie seduction and death. Don't let an institution, company, movement, or person seduce you into lowering your standards or compromising your moral principles. Anything for that section? No. Okay, so that was the end of Nahum. Each of these books has three chapters, so they're relatively short. Um, So before we get into Habakkuk, we're going to get into the, uh, the little paragraph before Scripture. And it says Habakkuk's ministry par- probably occurred around the time of Assyria's fall in 612 BC. When Habakkuk was troubled, he brought his concerns directly to God. After receiving God's answers, he responded with a prayer of faith. Habakkuk's example is one that should encourage us as we struggle to move from doubt to faith. We don't have to be afraid to ask questions of God. 
The problem is not with God and his ways, but with our limited understanding of him. Habakkuk looked at the world around him and saw violence and injustice everywhere. He didn't understand why God would allow such things to go on, and so he cried out to God, complaining about the situation and asking God to respond. It might seem presumptuous to ask God to explain himself, but God responded to Habakkuk's honest questions. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Habakkuk's complaint. And if you could read all four verses, please, 1 through 4. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Okay, thank you. The note, one of the notes, there were several here. With Assyria and disarray, Babylon was becoming the dominant world power. This book records the prophet's dialogue with God concerning two questions. Why does God often seem indifferent in the face of evil? And why do evil people seem to go unpunished? Well, other prophetic books brought God's word to people. This book brought people's questions to God. Uh, One of the other notes says, Saddened by the violence and corruption he saw around him, Habakkuk poured out his heart to God. Today injustice is still rampant, but don't let your concern cause you to doubt God or rebel against him. Instead, consider the message that God gave Habakkuk and recognize God's long-range plans and purposes. Realize that God is doing right even when you do not understand why he works as he does. Anything so far? Any questions, comments? Nope. Okay. One of the other notes said God responded to Habakkuk's questions and concerns by stating that he would do amazing acts that would astound Habakkuk. When circumstances around us become almost unbearable, we wonder if God has forgotten us. But remember, he is in control. God has a plan and will judge evildoers in his time. If we are truly humble, we will be willing to accept God's answers and await his timing. And then the last note for this section, God told the inhabitants of Jerusalem that they would be utterly amazed at what he was about to do. The people would, in fact, see a series of unbelievable events. Number one, their own independent kingdom, Judah, would suddenly become a vassal nation. I had to look up vassal. I don't I didn't know what vassal means. Did do you know what it means? Independent. It's. This is what it said. A general description for a king who has allegiance to another or a state that has allegiance to another. Kind of like a puppet. Uh, Number two, Egypt, a world power for centuries, would be crushed almost overnight. And three, Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, would be so completely ransacked that people would forget where it had been. And four, the Babylonians would rise to power. Though these words were indeed amazing, the people saw them fulfilled during their lifetime. Anything there? No, I'm just listening. Okay. Habakkuk chapters 1, 12 through to 1, Habakkuk's second complaint. And could you please read that whole section, 1, 12 through to 1, please? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, 
Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while will the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn the incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. You will let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Thank you. Okay, we have a couple notes for that section. The first one being Judah's forthcoming punishment would be at the hands of the Babylonians. Habakkuk was appalled that God would use a nation even more wicked than Judah to punish it. But the Babylonians did not know they were being used by God to help Judah return to him. And Babylon's pride in its victories would be its downfall. Evil is self-destructive and it is never beyond God's control. God may use whatever unusual instrument he chooses to correct or punish us. When we deserve punishment or correction, how can we complain about the kind of discipline God uses on us? The other note says the watchman and watchtower often used by the prophets to show an attitude of expectation are pictures of Habakkuk's attitude of patient waiting and watching for God's response. Stone watchtowers were built on city walls or ramparts so that watchmen could see people, enemies or messengers, approaching their city while still at a distance. Watchtowers were also erected in vineyards to help help guard the ripening grapes. Habakkuk wanted to be in the best position to receive God's message. Anything for there? Nope. I have nothing. Okay. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, the Lord's second reply. And in the notes we learned, this chapter records God's answers to Habakkuk's questions. One, how long would evil prevail? Two, why was Babylon chosen to punish Judah? God said that the judgment, though slow to come, was certain. Although God used Babylon against Judah, he knew Babylon's sins and would punish it in due time. And the other note says evil and injustice seem to have the upper hand in the world. Like Habakkuk, Christians often feel angry and discouraged as they see what goes on. Habakkuk complained vigorously to God about the situation. God's answer to Habakkuk is the same answer he would give us. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It isn't easy to be patient, but it helps to remember that God hates sin even more than we do. Punishment of sin will certainly come. As God told Habakkuk, wait patiently. We must trust God even when we don't understand why events occur as they do. And then could you please read verse 4? Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Thank you. The note for that verse says the wicked Babylonians trusted in themselves and would fail, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. This verse has inspired countless Christians. Paul quotes it in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11. 
The writer of Hebrews quotes it in 1038, just before the famous chapter on faith. And it is helpful to all Christians who must live through difficult times without seeing signs of hope. Christians must trust that God is directing all things according to his purposes. And if you could read uh, verse 20, please. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Thank you. Uh, The note for that verse says, Idols have no life, no personhood, no power. They are empty chunks of wood or stone. Temples built to idols are equally empty. No one lives there. But the Lord is in his temple. He is real, alive, and powerful. He is truly and fully God. Idolaters command their idols to save them, but we who worship the living God come to him in silent awe and reverence. We acknowledge that God is in control and knows what he is doing. Idols remain silent because they cannot answer. The living God, by contrast, speaks through his word. Approach God reverently and wait silently to hear what he has to say. So you don't need any idols. What is it when idols can take different forms, but it's an inanimate object that people worship? What about when you wear the cross? Isn't that an idol? And so is it... Uh, wrong to wear the cross? Is it simple? Is it as simple enough to not wear? Is it better to not wear a cross and be a believer, or is wearing a cross acceptable to God? Wearing a cross is is acceptable. It's just how much you're putting into this inanimate object. Don't put everything into a piece of jewelry. It's protecting or me. a piece of wood. It's not protecting a damn thing. God may be protecting you. Yes. That piece of wood or that piece of gold in the shape of a cross on your neck isn't protecting you. Right. Now, wearing the cross may mean a lot to you. Like, you know what? The Lord, Jesus died for my sins on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day. You know, these are all these are all things that mean the most to you. And you're like, you know, this is what I'm about. I'm just, I'm going to wear my cross. Does that make sense? It does. And that's where that was, my question came in of it being a idol. Well, yeah. So say you go, say you go into a house or a business and they have 25 crosses up in it. That doesn't make them any more of a believer than you. Right. Say you don't have any crosses in your house. Well, it's all about what's in your heart. The Lord knows. Okay. Now we're going there's a little paragraph before the next part of scripture and it says upon hearing God's responses to his complaints Habakkuk responded in precisely the right way with awe-filled worship and prayer and that moves us on to Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 1 through 19 Habakkuk's prayer and he sang this he sang the following prayer to the Lord we're not going to read all of it in the notes, it said, Habakkuk praised God for answering his questions. Evil will not triumph forever. God is in control, and he can be completely trusted to vindicate those who are faithful to him. We must patiently wait for him to act. We have several other notes, actually. So this next one says, Habakkuk knew that God was going to discipline the people of Judah and that it wasn't going to be a pleasant experience. But Habakkuk accepted God's will, asking for help and mercy. Habakkuk did not ask to escape the discipline, but he accepted the truth that Judah needed to learn a lesson. God still disciplines in love to bring his children back to him. Accept God's discipline gladly and ask him to help you change. Okay. Oh, moving on. 
This one, this note said Habakkuk's feelings were not controlled by the events around him, but by faith in God's ability to give him strength. When nothing makes sense and when troubles seem more than you can bear, remember that God gives strength. Take your eyes off your difficulties and look to God. And that does help. It really does. God will give his followers strength and confidence in difficult times. They will run sure-footed as deer across rough and dangerous terrain. At the proper time, God will bring about his justice and completely rid the world of evil. In the meantime, God's people need to live in the strength of his spirit, confident in his ultimate victory over evil. And then this last note was, was pretty neat. Habakkuk asked God why evil people prosper while the righteous suffer. God's answer, they don't, not in the long run. Habakkuk saw his own limitations in contrast to God's unlimited power and control of all the world's events. God is alive and in control of the world and its events. We cannot, we cannot see all that God is doing and we cannot see all that God will do, but we can be assured that he is God and will do what is right. Knowing this can give us confidence and hope in a confusing world. Anything for there? No. Now we're moving on to Zephaniah, and before we do, uh, we're going to go over a just a little paragraph before scripture. Zephaniah's ministry probably took place around the time of Assyria's fall in 612 BC. Zephaniah warned the people of Judah that if they refused to repent, the entire nation, including the beloved city of Jerusalem, would be lost. The people knew that God would eventually bless them, but Zephaniah made it clear that there would be judgment first, then blessing. This judgment would not be merely punishment for sin, but it would also be a means of purifying the people. Though we live in a fallen world surrounded by evil, we can hope in the perfect kingdom of God to come, and we can allow any punishment that touches us now to purify us from sin. Okay, so we move into Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and this section is titled, Coming Judgment Against Judah. And here the Lord gave a message of upcoming punishment to Zephaniah. We have a few notes here. It says, Zephaniah prophesied in the days of Josiah, king of Judah, which was 640 to 609 BC. Josiah followed God, and during his reign, the book of the law was discovered in the temple. After reading it, Josiah began a great religious revival in Judah. Zephaniah helped fan the revival by warning the people that judgment would come if they did not turn from their sins. Although this great revival turned the nation back to God, it did not fully eliminate idolatry and lasted only a short time. Just four years after Josiah's death, Nebuchadnezzar swept into Palestine and took the first wave of Israelite captives in exile. The people of Judah were clearly warned by the highest authority of all, God. They refused to listen, either because they doubted God's prophet and thus did not believe that the message was from God, or because they doubted God himself and thus did not believe that he would do what he said. If we refuse to listen to God's word, the Bible, we are as short-sighted as the people of Judah, and like them, we will be punished. Now, could you please read verse 12? I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to punish those who sit complacent in their sins. They think the Lord will do nothing to them, either good or bad. Thank you. That's a scary thought. There's nowhere you can hide. The Lord's going to find you. So he's 
This is who's saying this? Zephaniah? Zephaniah, and it's the Lord speaking through Zephaniah. Ah, He's told him this. I see. And the note for that verse says, God would search the city with lanterns and punish those who deserve punishment because they did not search their own hearts and because they were content with the moral chaos around them and indifferent to God, God would use the Babylonians to judge them. Within 20 years, the Babylonians would enter Jerusalem, drag people out of hiding and take them captive or kill them. No one would escape God's judgment. There would be no place to hide. Any questions or comments for there? No. Zephaniah chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. This section is called a call to repentance. And could you please read Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 3 please? Seek the Lord, all who are humble, and follow his commands. Seek to do what is right and to live humbly. Perhaps even yet the Lord will protect you. Protect you from his anger on that day of destruction. Thank you. The note for that verse says there was still time for the people to avert God's judgment. They simply had to turn from their sins, humble themselves, and obey God. The Old Testament prophets announced news of destruction, but they also offered the only means of escape and protection, turning from sin and walking with God. Okay, so Zephaniah chapter 2 verses 4 through 7, judgment against Philistia. And verse 7 mentions a group of people called the remnant, quote-unquote the remnant. And in the note, it said, all the prophets, even while prophesying doom and destruction, speak of the remnant, a small group of God's people who remain faithful to him and whom God will restore to the land. Although God said he would destroy Judah, he also promised to save some, thus keeping his original covenant to preserve Abraham's descendants. Because God is holy, he cannot allow sin to continue. But God is also faithful to his promises. He cannot stay angry forever with Israel or with you if you are his child because he loves his children and always seeks their good. Okay, so now moving on to chapters, chapter 2, but verses 8 through 15. I didn't really pull anything out from there. We had judgment against Moab and Ammon and then judgment against Ethiopia and Assyria. I didn't really have anything for there. Uh, so we're, uh, we're going to go over to chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, Jerusalem's rebellion and redemption. And uh, one of the notes for there said, After predicting the destruction of the surrounding nations, Zephaniah returned to the problem at hand, sin in Jerusalem. The city of God and God's people themselves had become, quote-unquote, polluted, as sinful as their pagan neighbors. The people pretended to worship and serve God, but in their hearts they had rejected him and continued to be complacent about their sins. They no longer cared about the consequences of turning away from God. Uh, one other note said Jerusalem's citizens of all people had no excuse for their sins. Jerusalem, where the temple was located, was the religious center of the nation. But even though the people didn't follow God, God was still there in the city, present in the midst of corruption, persecution, and unbelief. No matter how spiritually desolate the world seems, God is here and he is at work. Ask yourself, what is he doing now and how can I be part of his work? Now, could you please read Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 7 through 9, please? I thought, surely they will have reverence for me now. Surely they will listen to my warnings. 
Then I won't need to strike again, destroying their homes. But no, they, they get up early to continue their evil deeds. Therefore, be patient, says the Lord. Soon I will stand and accuse these evil nations. For I have decided to gather the kingdoms of the earth and pour out my fiercest anger and fury on them. All the earth will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. Then I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, We have notes for verses 7 and 8. The first one says, We may wonder how the Israelites could have had such clear warnings and still not turn to God. The problem was that they had allowed sin to to so harden them that they no longer cared to follow God. They refused to heed God's warnings and they refused to repent. The more God punished them, the more they sinned. If you are living in disobedience to God now, your heart may grow hard and you may lose all desire for God. And then the other note said, In the last days God will judge all people according to what they have done. Justice will prevail, evildoers will be punished, and the obedient will be blessed. Don't try to avenge yourself. Be patient and God's justice will come. Now, in that note that I just read, they had referenced Revelation 20 verse 12. So I went, because I haven't read Revelation yet. So I'm like, ooh, let's go over to Revelation and read what's going on there. I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. So this is from Revelation. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and the death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. As a note, it said the book of life contains the names of those who have put their trust in Christ to save them. These books also contain the recorded deeds of everyone, good or evil. Everyone's life will be reviewed and evaluated. No one is saved by deeds, but deeds are seen as clear evidence of a person's actual relationship with God. Jesus will look at how we have handled gifts, opportunities, and responsibilities. God's gracious gift of salvation does not free us from the requirement of faithful obedience and service. Each of us must serve Christ in the best way we know and live each day knowing the books one day will be opened. And then the other note for uh, these verses say, Death and the grave are thrown into the lake of fire. God's judgment is finished. The lake of fire is the ultimate destination of everything wicked. Satan, the beast, the false prophet, the demons, death, the grave, and all those whose names are not recorded in the book of life because they did not place their faith in Jesus Christ. John's vision does not permit any gray areas in God's judgment. If by faith we have not identified with Christ, confessing him as Lord, there will be no hope, no second chance, no other appeal. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Now, continuing on in Zephaniah, there was a note for verse 9. 
God will purify speech and unify language so that all his people from all nations will be able to worship him together. In the new earth, all believers will be able to understand each other. The confusion of languages of the Tower of Babel will be reversed. God will purify our hearts so that the words coming from our lips will be pure as well. And then would you please read verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Thank you. And um, just the one note for that section said, The Lord himself will remove his hand of judgment, disperse Israel's enemies, and come to live among his people. He will give them gladness. Zephaniah points out that gladness results when we allow God to be with us. We do that by faithfully following him and obeying his commands. Then God rejoices over us with singing. If you want to be happy, draw close to the source of happiness by obeying God. And that's what we had for this session. Is there anything you wanted to chat about? Mm, No, I think I, I got the questions I had out early on. Okay. Yeah. All right. But next time, I'm sure I'll have more questions. Okay. Anything else on your mind that you wanted to share? No. All right. But thank you for asking. Sure. Okay, so let's give out some information. The email is basicbiblestudy19 at gmail.com. Facebook at MyBasicBibleStudy. And the website MyBasicBibleStudy.com. On Facebook, that's where we put... All of the, um, we'll list all of the readings we do each session. And then um, any little pictures we take out of the Bible or whatnot, I'll put up on Facebook. And then the website, you can find all of the major links to, um, to the podcast. Next time, I'm going to read through this. It's not super long, but it'll also be listed on the Facebook page. 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 29 and 30, the parallel 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verses 20 through 27, Jeremiah chapters 47 and 48, 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 31 through 35, and the parallel 2 Chronicles 36, 1 through 4, 2 Kings 23, 36 and 37 and the parallel 2nd Chronicles 36 5. Then we have Jeremiah chapter 22, chapter 26, 2nd Kings chapter 24 1 through 4, Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 36, Jeremiah 45 1 through 5, and then we have Jeremiah chapter 46 19 and 20. If you didn't catch that, that's okay. It's going to be on the Facebook page. It'll be on the Facebook page. Yeah, because I know that's a lot to take in. It is, but that's why you put it on Facebook. Right. It's easy to reference. It sure is. I'm being serious. I know you are. I know you're not being sassy. That's all I got Mm. on on this overcast, beautiful overcast day. All right. Have a blessed week, and we will catch you next time. Bye bye.